This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. What a week, folks. We're back with our 10th and final episode of the summer transfer window. Very exciting stuff going on. I'm here, as always, joined by Alex. Hey. And Chris Stauffer from School of Science Radio under Royal Blue Mersey. Chris, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. How's it going? It's going Fantastic. good. I've had yeah, had a busy weekend. I'm I'm in the process of getting ready to move actually on Saturday. So I'm trying to like plan the logistics, but between moving and the game, it's gonna be quite the uh quite the acrobatic feat if I can if I can pull everything off in that same day. It just, you know, uh, tape your cell phone to your car's dashboard and and roll with it. Should be fine. No big deal. Yeah, I think James. that's probably the safest option. We all know you're going to make it work regardless. Like there is no, if I can make it happen, it's the first match of the season. Obviously, all our new signings are going to start right off the bat, right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> and, and honestly, I mean, I'm 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 prioritizing the game over the move. Like if I have to, you know, one thing's taking the front seat for sure. It's, it's the first match of the season. Like that's when optimism is usually at an all-time high, especially after the last week when we've made two two big signings. That we're going to touch on very briefly, and, uh, and I, I, I assume that Kurt Zuma is just going to parachute into Selhurst Park. I mean, he's already in London, right? I think that's the plan. Yeah, I think Marcel Brands has maybe like a hot air balloon and he'll like parachute in. <laughs> I think that would be uh, the ultimate. Like right as the match is about to kick off, he just parachutes in, takes off the parachute, and is slots right into the starting lineup and, like next to Michael Keane. And Wilf Saha falls down. <laughs> yes, that's that's going to be an interesting one, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But first things first. The big news of the day and something that I think we're honestly getting praise for from fans all over the world, which is kind of unconventional when it comes to Everton. Usually people are kind of dismissive of most of the signings we make, but it's Moise Keane. There's apparently like 16 different pronunciations, but that's what I'm going with. Moise Keane signs from Juventus on a five-year deal, 27.5 million plus 2.5 million in add-ons is the rumored fee, but technically undisclosed. And the much much was made of a potential buyback for Juve. That seems to have kind of diminished in the last couple of weeks, and it's apparently a right of first refusal. So if in the future we were to hypothetically want to sell for to Bayern Munich for like 80, 90 million, Juventus would then have the opportunity to ma- match that deal and take priority over whichever club is making that offer. Um, I'll throw it to Chris first. Chris, what is your impression? First impressions of Moise Keane? Moise Keane, are you... I assume you're as happy as we are with it. I I am, if not more so. I mean, I'm really excited. I I was telling um, Alex before we started that this reminds me a lot of ways in the Romelu Lukaku signing when we got him from Chelsea. It's one of those deals where you look at Juventus and you're like, so you'd rather keep 35-year-old Ronaldo and overweight Gonzalo Higuain and Mario Mandzukic than this kid? What's going on? Is this? It's a little bit too good to be true. And I know Keane had some, there's some stuff surrounding his time at Juventus that's not pretty. And his teammates kind of turned on him a little bit. And, you know, I don't know how much we want to get into that, but in terms of on the field, his numbers when he played absolutely popped, um, almost four shots per 90, uh, 0.65 expected goals per 90. Like this is the makings of a really special player. And I understand that, you know, he had better teammates at Juve than he's going to have here. But at the same time, you can only do what's put in front of you. And he really impressed me. Yeah. I echo all those sentiments. And also you could almost argue that it's even more exciting at face value than it was 
with Romelu Lukaku. I mean, obviously we had Lukaku for a year prior, but just just face value, knowing what we know or knowing what we knew um, initially about Romelu Lukaku, right? Like he was coming from Chelsea and a, a young, um, talented striker. I guess he even played for West Brom beforehand. But point was, he didn't get a whole lot of appearances or any at all actually at Chelsea prior to. But here's this kid, 19 years old, made 13 appearances for Juve, scored almost half a goal to for each appearance, six goals in 13. And that's no small feat because you also got to think playing for such a club, there's there's a whole lot of pressure to that compared to maybe going out on loan to West Brom and scoring a couple goals for them. And I believe he's already made his um, uh, his debut for the Italian national team as well, which at his age is uh, yet another mark in his favor. Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a bunch of really interesting, like he's the first, youngest post-war player to make their debut for Juve. I believe he was 16 when he made his de- debut really highly touted prospect a ton of a ton of um promise with him and to get him on a permanent deal just speaks to the god Marcel Brands himself his ability to negotiate and and one scout out a player like that and then negotiate a fee because we're, we were talking 40 million initially and now we're down to 25 just shows what a great negotiator he is and and I agree with your points on the Romelu Lukaku comparisons though I think Alex kind of made this point but Lukaku was certainly more a known commodity when he came to us. He had had a really successful loan spell at West Brom and then come to us and, and bagged bagged several goals. Keane is more of an unknown unknown prospect, but he's also the biggest striker signing we've made since Lukaku. And so I think those comparisons are kind of inevitable. And it's what we've been crying out for for now two full seasons, waiting for this, you know, waiting for the big striker signing to come in. And so to finally have that... A lot of a lot of the for large stretches of last season, people were saying that's like the one missing piece. And so now that that piece has fallen into place in combination with a lot of the other signings we've made, I think it just sets us up to be incredibly optimistic going forward. Well, it's a breath, breath of fresh air, right? Because we've dealt with for the last couple of years, a couple of guys in Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Cenk Tosin who have a lot of really good pieces to their game. Like Calvert-Lewin's a really hard worker, excellent defensively. Tosin is magical with his first touch and passing ability, but neither of them can consistently put the ball in the net. And if you look at Moise Keane's profile, dude knows how to put the ball in the net. Like he, d- he doesn't have the creative numbers that Tosin does. And who knows if he can press like Calvert Lewin, but if it, there's a, there's one thing he knows how to do and that's what we've been looking for. Yeah. There are about four attributes that I am most excited about. He has a solid amount of pace. He's definitely very strong for his stature because to be honest, and you see him in the videos, like like on his profile and then on, on the Everton website, on the Everton Twitter, he's not a very big guy, but he's strong for his size. He knows how to finish, that's for sure, as you just touched on, Chris. And furthermore, um, I think all of y'all might have seen that uh, behind behind the back, like settle from a cro- oh, yeah. cross field switch. Um, so the fourth point being his technical ability. And I think, you know, only about half of those attributes you can you can attest to the other two strikers, as you said. So he has it all. And so the biggest question is going to be how quickly, not if, but how quickly can he get fit and apply it to the game in England? Because let's be honest, he's going to be playing against much tougher opponents, specifically defenses in England than he would have been in Italy. Yeah, no, I I, I think that I think the adaptation phase, and again, because we left our business so late, the adaptation, I think it's going to take at least probably a month or two before we start to see these players. I mean, he's not even fit, right? He's been kind of on vacation in in the uh, 
the rumors seem to be that he probably, or I guess common sense would tell you, he probably hasn't been training at full throttle in anticipation of a potential transfer and not wanting to injure himself and, and jeopardize those chances. So it's going to take him some time to one, get fit, and then that additional time to adapt to the English game. So time will tell, but we do also have a pretty favorable start to our season as far as matchups are concerned. And so I think that we do have kind of a luxury in that we're not facing any of the big six for the first, I think, six games. So we can we can kind of afford to, assuming everything else falls into place, take our time to some extent and uh, let these players acclimate and then not have to rush to introduce them. Yeah, I, I was just looking here to see, and it does not look like he's been available for Juventus in their preseason friendlies. So I don't know if, if he was on holiday or if they were holding him back for a potential transfer or what, but it, he may definitely take a couple weeks to get up and running, like you said. And, you know, I think one, one of the biggest pieces that makes this interesting for Everton, I think we spoke about it maybe a couple months ago, we signed a very young striker in terms of his so far first team appearances. We could call him prolific, uh, although small sample size. I want to see how Dominic Calvert-Lewin reacts because, Chris, you've mentioned it. We even talked a little bit before the show about it, but Dominic Calvert-Lewin is one of the hardest working guys, I think, probably in the squad, not to knock anyone, but he, I think he works extremely hard. I mean, you can see it in his physique year after year and how much he improves year after year. So I want to know... On the mental side of things, how can he kick on? What happens next weekend when he's starting at Selhurst Park at at 10 a.m., well, Eastern time, and he knows that Moyes Keane has been in training for a week with him, and he's waiting a couple more weeks to get his chance if Dominic Calvert-Lewin does not perform up top for Everton? They gave Dom the uh, number nine shirt too, and then all of a sudden here comes this big money signing. So it, his reaction will be fascinating to watch. And it, it, the other thing is, I'm guessing that they're going to find a some sort of last last ditch loan for Umar Nias. But it doesn't at this point look like Ching Tosin is actually going anywhere either. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I think I think honestly, I mean, having three first team strikers isn't really anything crazy, but it also doesn't really seem like that's a situation Cenk Tosin would want to find himself in. There were a lot of kind of tentative rumors linking him to move back to Turkey, uh, teams in Germany, and I believe Italy as well were were interested in him. Uh, rumor has it. So yeah, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. And he does offer a very different profile to both of our other strikers now, Calvert-Lewin and, and Keane. But um, I just don't, I think he's the third option at this point, just based on the fact that he doesn't really have the physical profile that that we really demand. And not, not to knock his work rate, but it's not like he's going to be, I mean, I think Calvert-Lewin, as far as pressing and, and his contributions on defense are concerned, comes out on top when you look at those those facets to their game. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Chink was playing and scoring in the Champions League not, not really that long ago. And you have to think he's looking at it like, well, this is not exactly what I had envisioned. And so I wouldn't really blame him that if he, if he wanted to leave, but I also haven't seen any Kevin Morales esque attitude problems either. No, I mean, he's been fantastic. I I really like him. I think actually pretty sure all of the fan base really like him and you can't lack it, you know, fault him for lack of trying either. I still think that he's a fantastic finisher as we saw, you know, the second half of season before last when he was signed. And I think he scored a solid five goals and, and in those days, under Sam Allardyce, we had about one chance per match. Um, so it, it's I think it's just a, a factor of a, a different style, and I don't think that Marco Silva's style suits him. And it's going to be even more interesting to see how that style changes this year with different personnel. Yeah, the, uh, the exchange rate for goals under Sam Allardyce is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
All right, I guess we should get on to uh, just a touch on this because we have talked about it extensively, but sad to say the day has finally come. Idrissa Ganagay no longer an Everton player as he completes his move to PSG. It was rumblings back in January. Those died down. Then came the summer and, and we weren't really sure if we were we would hold strong, but the player clearly wanted to go. He's gone. And almost immediately, we sign a replacement for him. And, and I might get... You know, this is one of the tougher names. Jean-Philippe Bamin comes in from Mainz, Mainz, and all indications are that this is a really, really quality signing who could slot into that CDM role similar to Ghana, but also offers a bit more going forward and a bit more distribution than Ghana did. So what do we make of the uh, JPG signing? So I I really like it. it it's <laughs> I'll be the first to tell you, I've never seen it play before. Um, when I watch the Bundesliga, it's usually... Borussia Dortmund or Bayern Munich or Leipzig or somebody like that. And so I don't have a lot of mental tape on JPG, but it's, it's a very typical Marcel brand signing, right? It's a, you know, it's nothing crazy expensive in that 20 to 30 million range, but he's at the lower end of the age curve. It looks like he's very versatile. He's played at fullback. He's played at center back. He's played in the midfield. The biggest thing for me with JPG is that just looking at his numbers, it seems like there's going to be a shift in the way that the team set up in midfield and kind of the, even the going forward to the playing style where we're going to want to have more of the ball um, than we did last year. JPG is a much better passer than Ghana um, from what we can tell. Yeri Mina is a much better passer than Kurzuma is. And so those two factors kind of tell me I would not be surprised if you see us building out of the back and playing the ball through the middle and not have so heavily relying on Andre Gomes and Luca Dean. I think that's pretty fair. I'm I'm excited because we know right off the bat that physicality is not going to be an issue with him. He's six foot one. He's built rock solid, and he's actually very quick for a central midfielder, specifically for a defensive or even a box to box midfielder. And obviously, any player coming into the league. That's the number one thing anyone points to. Oh, are, are they going to be able to adapt to the physicality? And then the, the second point is always going to be, can they adapt to the speed of play? And I think he'll be able to. It's just going to be interesting in terms of how we see him set up as a defensive midfielder. The only thing is, we know how good Ghana was. I think we can safely say Ghana was one of the best defensive midfielders up there with Barry in recent times. Maybe better than Gareth Barry, but different roles. And so I'm, I'm just skeptical because we are pushing it to break the top six, right? That is the goal every single season from now on. And so does JPG get us there as a starting defensive midfielder? I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. I just don't know yet. Well, you can't expect him to come. I think we have to temper our expectations a little bit because, again, like you said, Alex, Ghana, arguably one of the top CDMs in all of Europe. So when you have a player coming in who's slightly younger and is still very much in the development phase of their career, to expect him to slot in and immediately be like a like-for-like replacement for Ghana is, I think, a little bit naive. There's, again, like you said, the learning curve is going to be there. But what Chris touched on, and I think is actually a really interesting point, is he is not the same exact player as Ghana in that he possesses a lot of different qualities. And I think... With his passing ability, he will give us a, a lot more fluidity in midfield because when we were playing with Ghana, you're kind of, you know, he didn't exactly fit the profile of a typical Marco Silva number six, where we're stuck playing a, a true center defensive mid. And I think Bamin seems to be the type of player who, yeah, he can come deep and receive the ball, but we really struggled at times when last season when we were trying to play it out of the back, 
And there just weren't really many options because you go to Ghana, Ghana is much more inclined to look to pass back. And so what happened is Gomez would come deep a lot, receive the ball. And now you have two players who can potentially receive the ball and bring it forward out from the back. And so perhaps a little bit more fluidity in midfield than where we were used to seeing last season. Move on. We now have, let's see, the deadline is August 9th. So just five short days from now. And there's been a lot of rumblings. We still effectively have a net zero spend this summer because of the outgoings that we've had or close to net zero. So the rumblings within Goodison Park, within Finch Farm seem to be that we're willing to spend big with the remainder of the deadline. And we know based on last season's evidence last summer that Marcel Brands is one to leave some deals late. And so I think we're all anticipating probably a big week. So let's just start things off. Predictions for number of signings we get in before the deadline. I I think they've been very public with how they want three more players at least. I think we get two. Um, Or, well, we may get two permanents and then like a last-ditch loan like Zuma last year, but I I just think there's not enough time left to get three first-team long-term signings in the door permanently. I would be very surprised if all three came. I will actually be pretty satisfied if the only thing that we get is a decent center back. Um I, I do want a winger and I do want a fullback, but the center back thing is a flat out emergency. I'd have to agree. I think two is most likely, although three is preferred. All three of those position is, positions, as you mentioned, um, center back specifically, it has to be the next one. It has to be the next signing, period. Um, however, I would almost I would almost say that a right winger would be more important than a, than a backup right back because we do have, you know, Holgate to cover it right back. And yet... We scored, I think, like three goals in all of preseason. So that's just not going to work for us. And that's that's a fact. I don't know if you guys have listened listened to our show at all, but I, I am not a fan of Mason Holgate. I would rather Cuco Martina back up Seamus Coleman. Wow. Um, that, I, that's not even remotely tongue-in-cheek. That's a legitimate take. And I, I think Seamus Coleman may have to play 3,500 minutes in all competitions this year. So what what don't you like about Mason? What is it that that jumps out at you that makes you think he's he's not right? Re- I assume it's just he's not up to the level that we need at that position. Well, uh, here's the thing: it's really frustrating to watch Mason Holgate because, aside from maybe Dominic Calvert Lewin, he's probably the most physically gifted player in the squad. Um, you, you don't run into center backs who are that fast almost ever, and he's very strong and he's tall and he's got. It just ticks every box from a physical perspective, and he's got Ross Barkley brain. Um, <laughs> it, it's just infuriating the the guy's positional mistakes and mental lapses of judgment, and clearing the ball directly back into the center of the box four times a game. And I I just want to have a stroke every time that I have to watch him play. It, <laughs> it may be a me problem, but that that's that's how I feel. I, you're you're completely entitled to that opinion, and it's it's interesting because I think. Most fans would say they're somewhat optimistic after his his positive loan spell last year that he could come in and do a job for us, but so, albeit it was just, go ahead. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt you, but I do have a point regarding that. The championship is so much easier to let your physical attributes stand out. I don't want to you know step on that league's toes too much, but there's not a lot of tactical nuance down there. And so Mason Holgate's speed and his strength are, are really a positive asset. And, you know, if he, they, West Brom, I believe, played him mostly at fullback last season, and he's able to just blow by people that, in the championship. And that, I think, kind of puts a little, some lipstick on the pig, for lack of a better term. <laughs> you know, I, that's a fair point. And I think, you know, that's the part of the reason why we see so many players that were that are able to find success on loan 
in the championship from us, especially younger players, they just are never really able to make that next step up to the Premier League and not especially to the position where we're trying to compete for for Champions League places, for Europa League places. And so it's an interesting point. And I do think I think he'll get chances this season to prove himself. I don't think he's looked great in preseason, so that's totally fair. But kind of just to circle back on on the signings that we're expecting, I do think I, I'm not giving up hope on Kurt Zuma. It looks very unlikely at this point, but hashtag free Zuma all the way. I still think that he wants to be here, and I think he believes in the project and knows that he's got the best chance of getting consistent minutes. But if not, then I still think that, that Marcel Brands and Marco Silva probably have two or three other options lined up. There have been rumblings of various different players, um, but nothing really concrete yet. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a player just sort of pop up out of nowhere and we sign him the next day. Um, that seems to be the Marcel Brands MO with these short. He doesn't let much uh, much leak to the press, which I respect, and I think it's it's important when doing business. And then I'm also not quite giving up hope on Wilfred Zaha, which that one seems probably the most far-fetched. But at the same time, if we're looking to spend big and we want to make a statement signing, it would be hard to make a much bigger statement than to sign arguably, you know, one of the best players in the in the lower half of the table. Um, and I think immediately he could come in and probably be our best player uh, straight up. And it would definitely make our front three incredibly intimidating once everyone's settled. And and then lastly, like we, you guys all said, the right back, um, the the what I've been hearing and reading on Twitter seems to be that we're looking to bring in a, a loney. Um, and there's several viable candidates for that um, because, of course, we have John Joe Kenny that's out on loan. Whether or not he has a long-term future at the club remains up in the air, but I don't think that we're looking for necessarily a long-term solution at that position right now. I'd have to agree with you. I, I, I really want Kurt Zuma. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I mean, there are a couple pieces to the to the Twitter craze rumor mill, right? You you go on Chelsea's website, from what I understand, from what everyone was posting videos of, you can't actually buy a Kurt Zuma shirt, although an automatically made Kurt Zuma shirt, although they released uh, kit numbers, which is interesting. Obviously, the whole free Zuma thing trending. Kurt Zuma liked Moyes Keane's signing, um, along with a bunch of other Everton stuff on Twitter, although he's never liked any of the Chelsea um, Twitter stuff or posts throughout the summer. All those things are interesting. I don't know that he comes because they. I think they really need him, although the Chelsea fans don't always seem to think so. Right back loan makes a ton of sense to me. John Joe Kenny's out on loan to Schalke because we're trying to get him first team minutes, starting starter minutes, um, establish himself in the starting 11 and then see what happens when he comes back next season. And a right winger, I just, I have to hope that we get some serious talent at right winger because we are going to be sorely lacking if we don't. The thing, circling back to Zuma for a second, the thing with him for me is that while he's obviously a very talented player in his own right, the chemistry that he has pre-existing with Michael Keane is invaluable um, considering how few minutes that Yuri Mina played last year and the option of Mason Holgate being really the only other defensive player worth of worth a damn on the roster. Zuma can, even if he's comes in on the last day, he can just seamlessly fit right in. And I think that that would be a, a significant boost, but like Alex said, I'm not, I'm not optimistic. I don't, I think, um, Everything that Frank Lampard has said indicates that they want to keep him. And Zuma has said in public, at least, that he's a Chelsea player and wants to fight for a spot and all these platitudes and whatnot. It just <laughs> it doesn't seem like he's been agitating to make a move. Where are you at on the Zaha stuff, Chris? Are you are you in favor of it? Or are you 
skeptical or you where 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 you fall? I I feel a little bit bad after hearing you talk about him, but I'm I'm all the way out. I I don't think he's wow. I don't think he's very good. Um, really interesting. So the thing with Zaha is that if you look at the numbers, he's kind of a one trick pony. Um, a lot of his goals were scored via via penalty, and the other thing is that he, the only thing that he's really truly elite at is dribbling, which is which is nice. Like I, I get that there's some value in drawing penalties, there's some value in drawing fouls, but his passing numbers are are horrific. His shooting numbers are bad, and that's with playing in a central role for Palace a lot of the time last year. Um, and I and I totally understand and will allow for you know Palace are terrible, and that's got to be dragging him down somewhat. But his expected goals plus expected assists per ninety last year were less than Theo Walcott, um, which is kind of amazing if you think about it. You know, this, yeah. there's a guy who's getting his tires pumped by everybody around around the Premier League, and the actual production just doesn't match the match the hype. And I think you know, if this was a player who's available for let's say twenty five million, then I would be much more interested. But the price that Palace are asking is frankly ludicrous. Yeah, I, think, I agree. Go ahead, Alex. I think those are all good points. What I would say is. I feel as though I mean you can't you can't really mask the the shooting statistics right um, or the passing. Well, you might be able to do the passing. The only thing I would say is in Palace he is legitimately borderline their only threat. Period. And I think that the style of football you play has a big influence in specifically passing. Right? Um, yeah, I have that. I, I- I would absolutely love to see Zaha be able to play in a free-flowing system because he's an electrifying player. I just don't really know that I wanted that experiment to be at Everton, for given, given the risk involved. Do you think, last question on it, and then we can pass it back over to James to give his, give his opinion. My last question for you, Chris, is do you think if he came to Everton, right? Obviously a different style as we just said, but he might actually have a chance to be playing without being essentially snuffed out 2v1 every time he has the ball ball at his feet 3v1 kind of like Richarlison is now at Everton do you think he could do better yeah I, I think he I think he would um his underlying numbers would tick up and I I don't know that he would score I don't know that he would have 10 goals and five assists for Everton because the our attack is run so so much through the fullbacks but I I do think that you know his boxcar numbers would would certainly improve it's just a matter of comparing it to the price and comparing it to his age and and these kinds of things it's it's not a worthwhile endeavor for me um but I I, I certainly understand the the opposing opinion because all of my disparaging comments aside I love watching him play yeah and and that's kind of my thing like he just sort of for me passes the eye test and I get that his stats and everything don't really look great on paper but you watch him play and it's true he just he commands attention from the defense and he draws defenders out and he makes he draws fouls he does a lot of the stuff that you know Avery Charleston does well um but at the price I think that the, I think the price is the biggest hang up of course cuz if we're looking at I mean, we we had a bit of 55 rejected. They're probably looking for 60, 65. I think at that price, you're looking at just a ridiculously inflated cost for a player because they are in the Premier League and um, you just kind of have to pay a premium for those players. Now you look at Harry Maguire for whatever it is they agreed on 85. That just is flat out ludicrous to me. I, I, um, I spent like a solid hour laughing about that on Friday. Um, <laughs> to... to- <laughs> Well, it's 60, 60 million pounds more than Michael Keane. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's it it blows the mind, but at the same time, it's Manchester United, and we know that they don't really have their transfer business uh, in order. Ed Woodward, um, I think 
universally despised by United fans. And, um, you know, that they, I think they'll regret outlaying that much money for him. Um, but, but we'll see how that goes. I'll, I wish Harry Maguire the best, but I still think that we have a really good chance of finishing above United this season. But yeah, back to Zaha. I, I think if it were to come down to 60 million, I think there's better options out there. I would rather splash 45, 50 on Nerez, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. I completely um, agree. Nerez is a far better fit um, for what we want to do schematically because if you look at Zaha and Richarlison, you're going to, that's two extremely direct wingers on the on the same field field and what Marco has wanted to do in the past is get one creative guy out there be it Bernard or Lookman and then one kind of goal scoring guy either Walcott or Richarlison and Zaha and Richarlison kind of do a lot of the same things whereas Neres's creative profile is is much better yeah and so I, I don't know those rumors died down probably a few weeks ago so it doesn't look like we're gonna be able to get that done but again Marcel Brands operates in the shadows and so I wouldn't put it past him to kind of sneak one by every Everyone and get him done uh, on on deadline day or slightly before that. Well, the weird thing to me was the club straight out came. Well, they didn't. I don't think they released an official statement. However, they told the uh, the press around them that we did not make a second bid, including James McCarthy and Jake Tosin. To my knowledge, in recent times, Everton has never done that, and I feel as though that doesn't necessarily mean that we weren't going to. I think that was a way of trying to tell Jank Tosin and James McCarthy that we weren't trying to use them as part of a swap deal plus 50 something million pounds because that's pretty disheartening. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think it was just a tactic to not unsettle the players that were mentioned. And, you know, it's also a tactic to get Crystal Palace to play ball if you tell them we're walking away and they start to get desperate because they obviously don't want to sell Zaha, but I think he wants to leave and that's, that's a problem for them. Yeah. In addition, in addition to not uh, disrupting kind of the players flow, it also, you don't want that rumor floating out there because the assumption is that we are trying to offload at least James McCarthy, if not Cenk Tosin. And so if those rumors get out there, then clubs might be uh, less inclined to try to bid on them. Um, and, I, and I still think James McCarthy will be gone before the window's out. Um, Cenk Tosin, like we said earlier, probably not, but yeah, there's still work to do and, and hopefully we can get that coveted winger. But if not, I, I don't think that Marcel is one to take the the short term, perhaps Manchester United like view of just splashing the cash because it's getting close to deadline day. I think if we are able to get the center back and potentially a right back on loan, then you'd have to call that a probably eight, if not nine out of 10, as far as the transfer window is concerned. And just kind of say, this is our squad going in. We'll try to improve perhaps in January, but this squad's not winning the title this year. This squad has, a, I think right now, a chance to compete for the top six and and we'll see where we go from there. I don't think he's one to kind of just try to pull in a last minute solution and hurt the long-term prospects financially. That's what Leicester City said three years ago, isn't it, James? <laughs> yeah, something uh, like quick, that. Quick, go find the betting odds for Everton to win the Premier League title. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I saw that we were, I can't remember, it was like 300 to, I not we're not winning this year, but I think I really do believe that if Keen can kick on, then we're in really good shape. But um, we do have one more quick link, which I kind of just included in here because it it, inf- it infuriates. It's so funny to me how much Watford <laughs> fans hate Everton. And the rumor is that we had a $32 million bid for Abdulia Decore rejected by Watford. Um, another center mid? Where, where are we at on, on Decore? I mean, there were the links, obviously, when Marco Silva came last summer 
it was Richarlison and Ducore that were the kind of top two on his list. We were able to get one of the two. Seems like we might be swooping back in. But center mid at this point really doesn't seem like our biggest area of concern. So this one kind of surprised me a little bit. Where are you guys at? Um, I, I hate to, to be the bad cop again, but I don't like Decore either. Um, he really benefited a lot from the season two years ago when he just blew up his expected goals numbers and scored like eight goals from midfield um, just completely randomly. And of course, he, he didn't do that again last season. He, he's not a very good passer. He does not win the ball very much. He's just kind of impressive to watch. And as if as long as Fabian Delft's uh, groin slash muscle injury from Saturday is, is not a big deal, I don't think we need another midfielder. I'd have to agree with that. I'm, he is very physical, which is a positive, but we just signed JPG in that department. I think that I think that it's a positive because if we really want to play in the top six or, or break the top six, we have to be looking at one step ahead. And, and being in the top six also means European competition. And unless everyone else around me is just extremely naive to this point, we can't exactly pull uh, what we did, I think, a year and a half ago and just completely crash out in the group stages. So we need the depth. Um, I, I would like him as a depth option. However, with the amount of money that we'd have to pay for it, um, I don't think that it's it's a positive. And furthermore, you're talking about a player that would come and and be looking to start and expecting to start every every single match. And I think in terms of the locker room, it, it would unsettle some. Yeah, I and I, you know, I'm just not convinced he's an improvement on Morgan Schneiderlin and to in Tom Davis, um, which is kind of where you would want to start with thinking about that move and suspending money to not get better is kind of uh, how teams get, get themselves into trouble. That being said, I do enjoy the amount of real estate that Everton owns in, in Watford's head. That's been a great joy in my life over the past <laughs> 18 months or so. Yeah. That's like I said, I'm not, I'm not sold on Decore as either. I think he had a couple decent performances against us last year. Um, but I haven't really watched a ton of him outside of that. I know Marco Silva rates him very highly, but at the, again, at the price, it's just not really worth it other than the fact that it would just be so sweet to to just see the fume from Watford fans because they're already, there's been some threads on Twitter and everything that they're just so upset about it. Um, and I just like owning that space in their heads. They had to ditch Z cars because it was just too, it reminded them too much of us. And now they're stuck with some Elton John song. And um <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I don't see, again, like you guys, I'm echoing your sentiments. Um, we have enough depth in midfield, I think, now having brought in th- three, four midfield players. And so um, as far as I'm concerned, we, ne- we need to spend that 32 plus million elsewhere in the squad. Specifically a right wing. Yeah. Or center that money. Yeah. Center or back. center back. Yeah. Center back, center back for sure. Um, all right. That does it for a little bit of transfer news. And of course, now we're getting on to uh, sort of the end here, but we will touch on the Werder Bremen friendly that was yesterday on Saturday. A nil-nil draw, a riveting match front to back. Um, I thought that, first of all, the lineup that we saw, I expect is what we'll see probably opening day against Crystal Palace. I'd be surprised if it was anything else. Um, and we talked about it a little bit before recording, but overall a good performance. It was just a lack of finishing and clear that that the striker was very much needed. So it's good that Mosaikin is uh is in in the house now, so to speak. Yeah, I I did not honestly see a lot that out and out concerned me. Um, other than the, the biggest concern for me was how bad Bernard looked, and 
maybe that's just a preseason thing and maybe he'll pick it up, but he was really struggling with his touch. And, you know, there was the one moment where he missed an open net from seven or eight yards away. That was just terrible. The, the defense looked really good. Um, Luca Dean looks like he's back from holiday in a big way. Seamus Coleman has been pretty good all preseason and Michael Keane and Yuri Mina both look like they've, they're starting to work on an understanding now, which is impressive considering how little time Mina spent in this preseason after the Copa America. But I would have been interested to see, uh, you know, an hour or more of the Delph Gomez partnership because I think that's what we're going to have to be dealing with until JPG gets up to speed. But other other than that, not super discouraging. Um, more of the same from Dominic Calvert Lewin gets all sweaty and his jersey sticks to his abs, and the goal doesn't go in. The ball doesn't go in the back of the net. <laughs> yeah, well, the only thing is, I'm not sure if Fabian Delph is going to start right, um, but I think that if he doesn't, obviously based on the substitute and just, I think, general knowledge would say that Schneiderlin would start in that place, which I actually would feel comfortable about completely. But I just, it, everyone says it's fitness and I just can't get past it because at the same time, every single team is is working towards fitness and yet other teams are scoring goals. Um, and, and the lack of goals coming just because Richarlison has been gone. And I guess, I mean, we didn't really have uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin either. It's just... It's just very unsettling. So well, it, it, I hope I'm wrong. It's emblematic of a lot of our struggles last season until the last six weeks of the season or so. Play really well, look pretty decent in all facets of the field, and just can't score. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I mean, it's it is preseason, and like we had some really really abysmal results last preseason uh, before starting things off fairly decently in 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 the Premier League campaign, and so I'm not. Again, not as worried, I think, as Alex, but it is, of course, an area of concern because, like Chris said, that was the question we were asking all last year, where are the goal is going to come from, where are the goal is going to come from. And so the other thing, of course, is that Delph injury. How serious is that? Because I do think that he has a lot to offer this side, um, versatility in midfield. And I think him and Gomez having a longer term partnership together will, will do will be a positive overall for the squad. And then, yeah, Bernard was just absolutely atrocious. There's no two, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was bad. But like you said, I, th- I thought that the Michael Keane and Yeri Mina partnership looked pretty good. It does concern me, the fact that they're both so similar in the way that they like to play. Um, they both like to, um, the, you know, Kurt Zuma and Michael Keane, you had kind of differences in that Kurt Zuma was much more inclined to be able to get back and recover. Whereas Yeri Mina, though his strides are very long, his pace is obviously lacking with his height. Um, and so if those two can develop an understanding, I'm okay with it, but it does worry me if we're looking to play kind of a high line, like we did a lot of times last year and we were burned last year quite a bit with the high line. If those two are a center back pairing, we could be in some serious trouble. Yeah. Zuma's recovery speed was a huge asset last season. And I, I really like Michael Keane. I think he's a great center back, but he's uh, slower than the dirty sleeps in. And the the, th- the thing about Yeri Mina is that he reminds me a lot of uh, David Luiz in that he's got a ton of skill, but boy, howdy, is he adventurous. Um, and, and with Michael Keane back there covering for you, that uh, that may come back to bite us. You know, I think, and, and I want to reference a point you made earlier, Chris, the high line that we will play, right? There's no question about it, I don't think. The high line that we will play is very dependent upon the relationship between your center backs. With Kurt Zuma picking up most of the minutes at left center back last season, not only are we going to hope that Yuri Mina can stay fit, um, we're also going to be playing a high line, and he's not going to have a huge understanding with Michael Keane just based on the sheer 
lack of minutes that he's played with Michael Keane over the last year. So that's also going to be a huge factor. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And, you know, Yuri, I think Saturday was, what, his second preseason game, I believe? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they looked good against Bremen. Um, you know, I, I'm not convinced that Palace aren't better than Bremen just because the Premier League is a stronger league. We'll, we'll see. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic because I think Yuri has a ton of talent, but it will be an interesting adjustment period. All right. Now to wrap things up, we have a couple uh, a couple youth player News bits here. We have uh, Nathan Broadhead awarded a new deal, uh, I believe, till twenty January twenty twenty one. So a, a short extension on his existing deal, and then loaned immediately out to Burton Albion in League One. Um, where are we at? Seems like a you know a reward for how well he played in preseason. Um, Alex, what do you make of the move? Yeah, he got. He actually was one of the one of the uh, players with the most minutes in preseason, along with I believe Gibson, the center back, or the youth center back, the U twenty three center back. Um, I always thought he looked really positive at right wing. Um, I thought that maybe he could have gotten close to a to a chance of of sniffing around the the first team bench this season. I think this loan tells me that we probably will get someone in, specifically because also Lookman left. But I think it's going to be a very positive season for him. He has great technical ability. Looks like his passing is pretty good, um, but only time will tell, you know, because he is not the quickest specifically for a winger. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it works out, but I really hope it doesn't turn into like a Kieran Dowell situation. Yeah. I think, I think there's promise there. It just, you know, needs some additional seasoning. Um, it, it always, it's, it's telling when, uh, when the rubber starts to meet the road later in preseason that Theo Walcott and Kevin Morales are getting the minutes. Yeah, totally agree. And then the last little bit, uh, Joe Williams, outgoing player officially sold to Wigan, uh, wish him all the best in his future endeavors. Had a lot of optimism for him potentially. There, he was pretty highly rated, but I do think that kind of the championship is probably his level. Um, coming off a couple serious injuries, hopefully he can get his his career back on track and and really make a statement for them. Yeah. So with Joe Williams, my my observation there is going to be on a little bit of a, a higher level than the player specifically. It's a little bit concerning to me that a majority of the youth players that we've all been so excited about for the past couple of years that were winning PL2 titles under David Unsworth, yeah, the rubber started to meet the road and John Joe Kinney is gone. Um, Anthony Robinson is gone. Benny, Benning- Benny Beningami is on some deserted island somewhere, I assume. Um, very strange situation there. Now Joe Williams is also gone. Um, you know, Fraser Hornby is looking like he might move to Blackpool and it's like... The, the youth prospects that we thought were all going to be coming through right around the same time, the, that well is starting to dry up. And that's a little bit concerning to me because you, you look back at the, the previous generation of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Tom Davis and Mason Holgate, and at least they've made contributions, in Holgate's case, not necessarily positively to the first team. Now, I mean, that's fair too. I, when we're talking about youth players and bringing in the first team and their contribution – the last thing I want to talk about, because we haven't gotten our daily dose of Tom Daly, Davies, I almost said Tom Daly, that's how much I like him. Uh, it's going to be really interesting this season to see how how he performs, because in youth, in the youth uh, teams, he always played as an attacking midfielder, if I'm not mistaken, or at least mostly. Yeah. And then he yep. broke into the first team, and he's been pretty much used as like a box-to-box, or even sometimes like a, a more defensive-minded midfielder when he's played or when he's come on, obviously, because... Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson occupies the attacking midfield spot. So 
He said in preseason specifically, he prefers the attacking midfield spot. In all the matches during preseason, he has played in the attacking midfield spot, whether that was starting or as a substitute. And so I think that Everton fans are going to be pretty impressed by him coming off the bench or in different cup matches at attacking midfield, because I think that's really where he's going to flourish. Yeah, I think he's got a really good chance to have a successful season. I mean, we we brought in a lot of depth um, elsewhere in the midfield, but a, a attacking midfielder kind of is sort of an area where we might not be as deep. Um, and so I, I know Tom Davies is probably the best chance we have. Like Chris was saying, we had this really promising crop of youth players and Tom Davies is really kind of the shining star of it all. And the one that I think has the best chance to have a long-term future with Everton, maybe John Joe Kenny, depending on how his loan goes, but as it stands now, um, and Chris, to your point about just kind of the failings of the youth setup, I do think maybe we're starting to, to undergo a shift in how we view the youth team. Uh, there's, there's a lot to be said for, for players coming up through and making their first team debut and then being, you know, becoming a club legend, so to speak. But the percentage of players who in general, who break through their academies and are able to cement themselves in the first team is so small. Um, So it does, does it necessarily represent a failing of the, the youth team? If we're able to move these players on and get decent sized fees for them and develop them further in their careers and help them, you know, send them off into greener pastures. I think Marcel Brands is probably thinking of it more in that way because I just think the the jump from youth, the way that it's set up, a U23 player, if you're 21, 22, and, and I've said this and I'll continue to beat this drum, if you're 21, 22 and you're not starting to break through into the first team picture, it's almost too late. Like Mose Keen is now 19 and he'll be a first team regular for us. Tom Davies now 21. And so if you're able to move those players on and, and make a decent profit off of them, buy them for whatever half a million and sell them for one and a half, like those small transactions add up eventually. And I think that that, that is one way of doing business with your youth team because not everyone makes it, especially with the direction we're trying to go in trying to be Champions League regulars. I mean, you just can't afford to be taking risks with youth players like that when you're trying to compete at that level. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and it's a fair one, um, and one that I didn't necessarily think, think about. Uh, my thing is that most of these players have not shown any improvement and that's the part that concerns me the most more than the more than them being sold or not making it to the first team because Tom Davis is a good example right has he gotten appreciably better since he scored the goal against Manchester City I don't know that he has and even right now today he's still a useful piece and I I think he's got a great feel for the game and understands spacing and you know can pick a nice pass and but it's it's been three years and you're kind of, he's still in the exact same role as when he came up. And that that's the part that kind of makes me cast a, a side eye towards the, the development system. It seems like that the youth setup is more concerned with winning Premier League two titles than actually, put, you know, growing and developing soccer players and their technical and tactical abilities. But that's, that's probably a whole separate episode. Yeah, it is. And, and the last thing I'll say on that is I would agree that Tom Davies hasn't you know, markedly improved necessarily, at least, you know, at the, on the face value at, at the basic eye test, but also he struggled to get regular minutes. And so I, I was sort of in favor of having him go out on loan, not this season, but last season, maybe in January, have him go out where he'd be able to play regularly um, at, you know, a lower, lower Premier League side. Um, that doesn't look like it's going to happen. It looks like we're looking to, to make him a fixture in the first team, whether that's as a super sub, um, whatever it may be. But I do think that when you when you are kind of on the fringes of the first team and you're not, 
out on loan, that is something that is really dangerous for stalling your development as a player. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard for us to, to know how much of that is his fault for not performing in training and not taking his opportunities when he gets them and how much of that is just a numbers game. You know, Morgan Schneiderlin's a different player and is more experienced and probably better at this time. And Adrissi certainly is. And, you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson will play 3,000 minutes every year until he dies, it seems like. so. That's true. By the way, if he ever gets hurt, we're completely out of luck. Yeah, well, that's where Tom Davies would theoretically come in, but I'm certainly not as confident in Tom Davies leading the no. the midfield attack than, as I am with Gilfie. You know, I, I still, not to get off on a huge tangent before we wrap things up, but I just still don't understand how a ton of the fan base are just not high on Gilfie Sigurdsson. I mean, I saw people arguing on Twitter about it, uh, on Reddit about it. They just are not sold on him, and I just do not understand how that's possible. I mean, I saw a compilation literally a minute and a half long of just straight through balls from Gilfie Sigurdsson to mostly Theo Walcott. All the chances he created, one-on-one with a keeper in which they were not scored. And you're looking at that, and yet he was still joint top scorer and top assists for Everton last season. And you're, I just don't get it, but maybe I'm just kind of ranting at this point. You know, he's other than Adrissa Gay, probably been the most reliable outfield player on the team the last two years and is somehow still underappreciated. I mean, there's probably not a more consistent attacking midfielder outside the top, the top six, certainly. And even if you look at a place like Arsenal with Mesut Ozil and all of his comings and goings in form, he's really, I don't want to say undervalued because we paid a lot of money for him and are paying him a lot of money in terms of wages, but it it would be, put it this way, it would be very, very difficult for us to go out and improve on Guilty Sigurdsson in the transfer market. 100% agree. I think that's probably a good note to wrap things up on. I'll praise the Icelandic god himself, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Long may he reign. Um, Chris, big thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. A lot of good insight and a lot of uh, dissenting opinions, which is always nice to have because Alex and I tend to agree with each other a lot. So. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. And I uh, apologize for the negative Nancy routine, but, you know. <laughs> no, I, I no, mean, it's it's fantastic to have to have a nice, like, well-rounded debate with intelligent people, which which doesn't always happen in a forum like Twitter, you know? So we really appreciated you coming on. Thanks so much for taking your time um, to join us and also just for the banter. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Hit me up anytime. Enjoyed it. And as for us, uh, Alex and I will be back probably, I think we're going to try to do a transfer deadline day special on, is it Thursday? So Thursday when the when the uh, window closes. And we'll also then look ahead to Saturday's match against Crystal Palace. So Uh, Until next time, up the toffees and hashtag FreeZuma. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.